Happy Monday, listeners. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Sneak Preview. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is our newest podcast dedicated to following the current film release calendar. We've got two films to talk about today. First, we have Netflix's newest black comedy, I Care A Lot. And of course, the big Oscar contender that just dropped exclusively on Hulu, Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Sure to be another fun yet informative episode for you guys. But before we get into all that, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, we got two trailers this week. First, Disney's upcoming villain origin flick, Cruella, starring Emma Stone as everyone's favorite deranged puppy murderess, uh, Cruella DeVille. Film is set to release theatrically on May 28th. Expect that to be delayed if they're not pushing it to Disney+. Plus. Cruella, uh, did you get a chance to check out this trailer? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it just uh, while watching, watching television. Looks all right. No, not not like super jazzed about it, but yeah, it looks okay. Do you think this is an effective use of girl power? <laughs> I mean, Maleficent, great, yeah, great you can question. kind of explain her origins, but how are you going to justify literal puppy murder? I, I don't know. Not sure about that one, yeah. Yeah, I think it's not a smart move. I, the, the trailer makes it look like, it looks like Disney's Joker. And... <laughs> I just don't think you can take a character like Cruella DeVille, whose entire motivation is I want to skin those puppies and make a coat and make her sympathetic. How the hell are they going to do that? I, I like Horace and Jasper. Curiosity. Well, I, I, I like the Horace and Jasper characters a lot. <laughs> now, admittedly, I have not seen 101 Dalmatians. Oh, man. I know. Oh. The animated one or the Glenn Close one. I haven't seen either one but Whoa. i know the character i know what she's about and this seems like a misstep where are they where are they where are they <laughs> 101 dalmatians is 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 pretty damn funny i like the i always like this one little bit you know with the the puppies and they're watching uh watching tv and there's a commercial of canine crunchies canine crunchies that was that was always something that stuck in my head and I love that movie as a kid, and I totally see what you're saying about Disney's mod, like Disney's modern Joker, like that. <laughs> That's perfect. That's really funny. Uh, I don't. I, I see exactly what you're saying, and I I honestly don't think this is going to be a huge hit like they think uh, it will be because of the way it's being marketed. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I mean, there's a whole pantheon of characters they could have, you know, revamped. I mean, Maleficent yeah. was successful for them. They they cranked two movies out of it. You know, maybe, you know, the Queen of Hearts, Hades. I don't know. But I feel like Cruella is literally so evil in her motivations that there is zero chance you can justify that by making her like a feminist icon, which is what the movie looks like it's going in that direction. Quite possibly, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, we might not see because if they're planning on a theatrical release in May, uh, <laughs> no, that's that's not happening. So oh, eventually, in May, in May, yeah, no, no chance. Yeah, <laughs> movies that, that think that's happening and need to need to grow up. Do you think this could be be uh, like the equivalent of like uh, financial wise, like something like Alice Through the Looking Glass, where like 
spends a lot, but kind of makes a lot sort of, sort of deal. I don't think so. Um, I think this is going to be, I think it's going to be a hit. I think like Emma Stone has box office draw. Uh, kids like Disney movies. I don't know. I just, I got not see this tanking, but I also don't see it being particularly memorable. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I am just so flummoxed by the idea of this movie that I really don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just have to find out. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it up whenever it does decide to come out. So with that, we also got the long-awaited Mortal Kombat reboot trailer. Yes. A, uh, <laughs> a video game movie that looks like it may finally break the curse. This looks awesome and is set for release theatrically and on HBO Max on April 16th. So that's something we can see and we'll talk about. Uh, I've been waiting for this movie for a very long time, and it looks like they put some care into this thing. <laughs> this looks cool. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely jazzed about it. It was a, a trailer that kind of like our entire team shared, and we were like, yeah, this, this is cool. This is going to be something that everyone on the Filmgasm team is, is amped for. That's pretty sweet. An R-rated Mortal Kombat movie with like a di- culturally diverse cast, and it looked like you could hear the little music sting from the movie theme yeah. from the '90s <laughs> one. Like this is made for fans, and it's going to be a blast. I'm excited for this. Yeah, definitely. Kick ass. So that's up. That's all for trailers. Uh, next, this was very interesting. I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about this. An unmade Stanley Kubrick film is about to enter production. It's called Lunatic at Large, and plot details are being kept under wraps. It's one of three unmade scripts that were found in Kubrick's library shortly after his death in 1999, being developed by producers Bruce Hendricks and Galen Walker. So we may have a new Kubrick movie. Ah, interesting. Out of the vault, eh? You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, kind of like you know, famous thing when yeah, a prolific, masterful artist dies and. Everyone's like, yeah, but what what else did they have that, you know, didn't get made or didn't get finished? And he's one of those guys that's like worthy of that conversation, uh, especially when it comes to, to movies. Kubrick is, whether you really dig him or not, is a super divisive filmmaker and knows how to knows how to jump through genres like it's nothing. And I, for one, would love to see someone who cares and wants to take care of it, you know, I, I, I'm totally down to see what they, they want to, you know, take his vision and do something with it. I'm down to see that. Me too, but I think on some level, it's impossible for this to be a Kubrick movie. Yeah, no, it's not. I don't think it is. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that it, there's no way. There's, there's no way it can actually have exactly what he wants, obviously. So it's not a Stanley Kubrick movie, but I think it's cool that his ideas are allowed to be you know, played with in a sense. Uh, if, if there's some respect there, then I can see it. That's the key. It needs to be somebody it's, who respects. It's gray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just have, you know, Joe Schmo director. You need a, a guy with an eye, but a guy who's willing to compromise his own artistic vision to satisfy Kubrick's artistic vision. And that's, that's not easy. <laughs> the guy, no, not, not at all. The guy who's willing to sit in this director's chair is you know, the guy who doesn't like to give up his own vision. Like, you know, David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, like these are the guys I would want to do a film like this, but they would in no way put their own ego aside for it. 
Yeah. So it just sounds like an impossible situation. <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah. Yeah, the more you, like, think about it, talk about it, it's like, wait a minute. That's a pretty daunting, pretty daunting thing. But he is, again, worthy of that conversation of, like, you know, if it's a Stanley Kubrick written movie, then, yeah, it should be an idea that people get to talk about for sure. I think it would just be better if they just released the script as like a novel or more that. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. <clears throat> Do you remember a while back that they were going to like digitally recreate James Dean into a new war movie? God, what happened to that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember that. I remember, but I, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah, in ages. Like two years ago. When did <laughs> yeah. nothing? I guess there was enough outcry that they just stopped talking about it. Just game over. Yeah. With you know re- finding a Kubrick script and redoing it started making me think about that. I don't know. Next up, Aladdin actor Marwan Kanzari has been cast as the villain in Dwayne Johnson's upcoming Black Adam movie. Uh, Kanzari played Jafar in the live action remake to a lukewarm reception. And I think casting him in this is a big mistake. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not, not a fan of that performance. Yeah. Yeah. He's the weakest link of that movie. And Jafar is one of my favorite Disney villains. So I really wanted a good performance. And uh, yeah. yeah. Jafar is one of the best Disney villains. You know, he's a, a Titan when it comes to Disney villains and yeah, not didn't do justice at all. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not I'm not big on that movie either. So I'm a little bit, you know, just kind of just kind of upset about that one. Black Adam is a film that Dwayne Johnson has been trying to get off the cutting room floor for like six years now. And I don't know why they're making it in the first place. Black Adam is is Shazam's arch enemy. So I don't know why he's getting his own movie as like an antihero. And at this point, does anybody care anymore? I, I don't know. I'm. I'll see it. I like The Rock. I like DC Comics. So I'm in. But now that I know this guy's going to be the bad guy, I'm, I don't know, I'm going in with fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. DC. See. Oh, I had, a, I had a big old conversation with my dad last night about DC versus Marvel. He's watching the MCU films for the first time. Yeah. So he's like calling me with updates like, oh, I love Civil War. Oh, Thor was awesome. And so we just we started talking about DC and we're just like, yeah, what the fuck? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. it's an ongoing yeah, conversation yeah. in my life it's a it, it always will be it always will be because as people kind of rediscover or rewatch, uh you know the, those mcu movies you just realize how much stronger they are than what dc has put together the past 15 years and just not even close yes indeed um speaking of colombian actress sasha calais has been cast as supergirl in Andy Muschietti's upcoming Flash movie. Um, I think she's a terrible choice simply because her biggest project prior to this is 243 episodes of The Young and the Restless. So unless her audition was lights out, I expect to be significantly underwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah, that's, the, yeah, Young and the Restless. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting resume. But hey, yep. you never know. You, you never got know. a soap star as Supergirl. <laughs> good, good. Which makes me think, and I, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole here, but I, I want to say this anyway. I hope they're not just casting for this, like, just so they have diversity for the sake of diversity. I hope yeah, that she really yeah, did course. deliver a great I, I, audition. I don't, 
I don't even know who this is, <clears throat> you know, so <laughs> I have, I have like no idea who, who, who this is and Supergirl and that TV show I've, I've just heard of before, but I don't know anything about it. <laughs> it's Supergirl. I, the whole D, the whole CW thing, I, it was great when it, they all were awesome when they started. All of them were kick-ass for at least two seasons. And then, you know, we started getting the 90210 soap opera shit. Everyone's sleeping with everyone else. Relationships broken. Relationships healed over dumb shit. And I just, like, all the superhero stuff started taking a back seat. And Supergirl's no exception. But in that case, like, with that show's case, they were doing all of that from episode one on. (laughs) So... It's just, I don't know why CW became like the definitive market for DC. I don't know when that happened or why that happened, but they need to aim higher. They have such cool characters, such great stories, 50, 60 years worth of stories. And that's what they're doing with it. Just making lukewarm TV shows. Yeah. Lame. Lame. Make movies. Yeah, make good movies because <laughs> they're making movies. They won't stop making movies, but they would. I'd like them to try a little harder. <laughs> oh, um, Danny Elfman is returning to comic book movies to score Sam Raimi's upcoming MCU adventure, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Elfman, of course, scored Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy and Tim Burton's Batman and 2017's Justice League. So he's no stranger to superhero scores. And to have Elfman and Raimi back together is a dream team. So I'm, I'm very excited for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked plenty about Danny Elfman in the past over various episodes on filmgasm and he's, yeah, he's just a legend. Yeah. He's, what do you think is his, uh, like, what's your favorite score of Elfman's? You know, what's funny is when I uh, asked you earlier about Alice through the looking glass, he also did that score too. It's not my favorite, but he did that one. Um, I mean, I, I, I find his Batman work to be just just kind of kind of knocks out of the park and is one of my favorite parts of my favorite Batman movies, you know, yeah. so it's, it's hard to kind of look past that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Batman's one of his crowning achievements for sure. Oh, beautiful. How about how about you with with the, Mr. Elfman? I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Beetlejuice. Of course. Yeah, of course. That's just, you know, bouncy, jumpy, weird shit. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Next up, Ari Aster is teaming up with Joaquin Phoenix for a new A24 production titled Disappointment Boulevard. All that's known about the film's content is that Aster described it as a, quote, nightmare comedy, and it may be at least four hours long. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what do you think of that? Yeah, this is the kind of thing I, I buckle up for and I say, okay, and I'm ready to do it. I don't need to see any trailers. I don't need to know anything else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, uh, Ari Aster is like, I, is someone I want to, I want to witness what's happening with him, whether his career goes to a strange place or not (laughs) already has. I, I want to be on the journey with him. Uh, guys like him, you know, Jordan Peele and uh, Robert Eggers, uh, I, I want to witness everything that they do. These kind of masters of the new, you know, genre bending stuff. And 
even if it's four hours, you know, I'm in. And for him to get a guy like Joaquin Phoenix, obviously, uh, after winning an Oscar, his first Oscar, and doing a nightmarish comedy, just okay. You know, let's 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 see what's going on. Yeah, sounds right up our alley. Uh, I've got my own issues with Ari Aster's, you know, Midsommar. I love Hereditary. <laughs> yeah. So for me, he's 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 one and two, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> I know yeah. that like, y'all love you'll love love Midsummer, Midsummer. I'm never gonna be comfortable saying that. Either either way, it's fine. <laughs> you know, I, I I I like I like that one a lot. I like I I like a lot of lot of aspects to to his second film, and of course, Hereditary is to me it's a like through and through masterpiece. Um, any which way you look at it, I think it's a ten out of ten. Just like wow, bonkers debut. Uh, you don't really see a lot like that might've, you know, used all of his best stuff in his first movie, but mm. I'm, I'm on board for, for whatever he does in the future. I like a lot of the shorts, you know, strange thing about the Johnsons, you know, that stuff is really, really bizarre and just, yeah, it's, it's strange. So I, I, I like him. I like the guy. I've heard some interviews and he, he again, he's in the same boat as like Eggers. I, I, I just want to see what he's going to do next. Speaking of Eggers, I know he's working on a Viking movie called yeah. uh, Northman. Yeah. Jesus. The more I learn about that, the more I'm like shaking. I want to see that so much. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, you know, he's proven to be uh, in the horror community. I, I, I think anyway, I might be, might be, you know, full of shit here, but like, I, it feels like he has a more steady, you know, the witch and the lighthouse feels like a little more steady one, two compared to Ari Aster's one, two. And, Oh, yeah. I think I think most horror fans really enjoy both of those, uh, whereas you find a lot of people that did not like him in some are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it all comes down to personal taste. I mean, take Jordan Peele, for example, you know, Get Out was amazing. Us was successful. I didn't particularly think it was that great, but yeah, I thought it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Still a hit for him. So, you know, and I want to see I want to see everything he does next, you know, uh, this I don't know if you're going to bring it up, but the Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya are supposed to be in the next Jordan Peele movie. So like, that's fantastic. I missed that one. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm, I'm totally down for that. Yeah. <laughs> right on that. That bodes well. I wonder if he's doing another horror movie. It's, it's what it seems like. Yeah. It's what it seems like. I, I just saw a headline. I usually stay away from these cause I feel like you're going to bring them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know me, I, I don't, um, I don't much, uh, you know, I don't watch trailers much and I don't, I kind of build my own buzz in my own head, you know, like what I really want to get down with, what I really want to get excited for and see. And yeah. like, even the one we're going to talk about a lot today, Nomadland was like that. Like I didn't really, <clears throat> I was in, I was just kind of in on the kind of, kind of wave it was riding on and I, I wanted to witness it. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, of course. You know, you tend to explore the past when it comes to film and I, I got to look to the future. That's why we're here. <laughs> yes, that's why, that's why we're here. <laughs> um, Zack Snyder's long-awaited zombie heist film, Army of the Dead, finally has a release date. It will be debuting on Netflix on May 21st, and we're getting a trailer on Thursday. I've heard nothing like, but you know, anticipation for this film, despite not really knowing anything about it. But people are kind of clamoring for this film, uh, Army of the Dead. Uh, I'm intrigued. 
Zack Snyder's not, he doesn't have the best track record with me as I've been very vocal about, but um, you know, zombie heist movie. I'm in. Yeah. But don't, it, doesn't he already have something else coming out? <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> apparently all he really had to do with the Snyder cut was reassemble some old footage and shoot some new scenes with Jared Leto. So it didn't seem like it was that much of an effort. <laughs> well, I mean, are you sure shooting scenes with the Jared Leto? <laughs> i'm just kidding i don't don't know know. what it is i don't know what it is i just like don't i kind of don't like him i don't know what it is i'm not sure it's an unearned it's an unearned sense of of uh like appreciation and um superiority i think i think a lot of people have like put him on a pedestal as one of like our generation's greatest filmmakers and i don't understand why yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I think, I think he's definitely someone that 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 is more just forgotten, forgettable for me. Yeah, yeah, his track record sucks. I, I want him. I want that to be clear. I don't get it with Zack Snyder. I just don't. This is gonna come back to me one day. I just know it. But <laughs> Zack Snyder and Jared Leto, we can throw them both in them. You know that. Neither of them have that great of resumes. Get out of here, <laughs> Jared Leto. I am steadily gaining more respect for. Zack Snyder has not moved up at all. <laughs> I don't know. Jared Leto, I don't know. I think he's lost over time. I don't know. I don't even know where he's at. But yeah, Snyder's never really had much of a, much of a pull on me as a fan. I thought Leto was the best thing about the little things. Uh, yeah, but that movie just overall, not for me, you know, and ne- neither of us really liked it. Yeah, it was whatever. Yeah, that was a ripping that one apart was a fun episode, but um. Yeah, he was trying, I guess, you know, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, you take 300 and Watchmen out, what exactly does Zack Snyder really bring to the table? Because he royally fucked up Batman versus Superman. And I just, yeah, I don't think he's all that. I don't think the Snyder Cut's going to be as mind-blowingly incredible as everyone says. I'm excited to see, you know, Dark Side and a proper Joker, but... Is it going to knock my socks off? Probably not. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to watch it, but I, I it's, 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 it's uh, for whatever reason, it's easier for me to like sit down and pay attention to four hours of a new, unseen, brand new Ari Aster movie starring Joaquin Phoenix than it is to watch a four hour new cut of this movie that I've kind of already seen. And then there's just more shit. It's like, all right, I, I know I'm going to um, tune out a few times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to tune out as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot more exposition and a lot less actual Justice League. That's what I think. I think it's going to be very confusing, and I think it's going to be very underwhelming. I think it's going to be Batman versus Superman 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So... Moving on, finally, and this was my favorite news of the week, Edgar Wright has signed on to direct a new adaptation of Stephen King's novel, The Running Man. So Edgar Wright's dipping his toes into the Stephen King pool, and he's doing a very cool story. Uh, Yeah, Uh, this is is fantastic. Yeah. He's not remaking The Running Man. We're not getting another Arnold Schwarzenegger action flick, because that movie was insanely unfaithful to the book. Instead, we're getting an actual, he, he said he's going to make it way more faithful. And The Running Man has such a cool story 
uh, it's one of the books that King just wrote in a weekend on a Coke binge and has no memory of. Hell yeah. There's a few of those, which is amazing. <laughs> True artist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is a story about a guy in a dystopian future who joins a game, like a, a game show called The Running Man, where he has a certain amount of time to get from one end of the country to the other end of the country where he's going to be pursued by gladiators trying to kill him. And it's all going to be filmed. And if he gets to the other end, he gets, it's been a while since I read it. I think he gets like, you know, $500 million or is like taken care of for the rest of his life or something. But he finds out along the way that it's all a scam and they're going to kill him anyway. So he decides to bring down the whole damn thing, like whether he lives or dies. So sounds cool. And uh, I'm excited to see how Edgar Wright adapts that because he's, he's one of my favorite filmmakers. His, he's done nothing but just lights out great movies. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Super original taking on, yeah, the great Stephen King. Yeah, like that's match made in heaven for sure. Have you seen the, uh, the, the Arnold one? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, not in a long time, but uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, sometime in my teenage years, like uh, sometime in middle school probably. Yeah. That is such a goofy fucking movie. Uh, I love that the bad guy is Richard Dawson. <laughs> but, I mean, you have a movie about an evil game show. Who do you cast? You cast the Family Feud guy, of course. Logical, yeah. So in this case, Steve Harvey. <laughs> God, I hope not. You got uh, Jesse Ventura just walking around the background of the movie doing like promos the whole time. It's a weird movie. I, I would love to do it on on Filmgasm podcast. It's oh yeah, one that it's a lot to unpack and a fun movie, but a ridiculous movie. Yes. <laughs> oh, good stuff. So that's all that happened last week in film that I could find. You know. I miss things. I'm only human, but that's what I got. <laughs> all right. Yeah. That, all I have to add is that, that Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya apparently uh, going to be in the new Jordan Peele fl- film. So yeah. that's, that's all I have to add. And uh, you know, I only got around to, to one movie this week, but I'm excited to talk about uh, this, this one that's kind of creating a bit of a storm on Netflix. Yeah. I, that's how I discovered it. So before we get into Nomadland, I wanted to give my two cents on Netflix's new black comedy. I care a lot starring Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, Asa Gonzalez, and Diane Weist. Uh, neat idea. Cool idea. It was, uh, I like films about con artists and, uh, you know, a movie that it reminded me a lot of was matchstick men. From yes, you, yeah, you mentioned that to me, and I definitely want to get to it because of that. <laughs> but the thing that really keeps this film from, excuse me, from being all it can be is Rosamund Pike's character. She does a she does a great job, but her character is one of the most detestable human beings I've ever seen in a movie. And the movie keeps trying to make you like her, but what she's doing is so cruel and unapologetic that there's no way to like sympathize with her at all. I was rooting for Peter Dinklage, the bad guy to kill her the whole movie. <laughs> oh God. And I know I'm not alone in that, but it's an interesting film. Uh, Rosamund Pike plays a con artist, uh, elderly guardian who has a doctor on the inside who fakes wellness reports 
so that Rosamund Pike can go to the court and say, this old person is not able to take care of themselves. And then the court assigns her as the legal guardian to this old person. She then throws the old person into a home and liquidates their assets <laughs> and pockets the, the money. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's, she's taking, she's taking advantage of some of the most vulnerable people and then acting like it's some, you know, like feminist girl power, like anti-man thing when really it's, I'm taking advantage of old people <laughs> and that's not likable at all. And her latest Mark turns out to be the mother of a vicious Russian gangster who goes after her for revenge. And I was like, yeah, get that revenge. <laughs> this is yeah, horrible. kidding. <laughs> um, it's not particularly funny. It's labeled as a comedy. It's not really that funny. Uh, really straddles the line. But Peter Dinklage was great. Rosamund Pike was great. Diane Weist was awesome. And it's just, it was an entertaining film. I recommend it. I only found out about it like an hour before I watched it yesterday. That's awesome. You were like, yeah, I think I'm going to do this. Yeah, Rosamund Pike's uh, nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's definitely something on Netflix that I've just seen people kind of just talking about all of a sudden. That's what happens with these streaming services. Uh, and, and I actually wanted to have a little discussion about this movie and then another product from Netflix that I watched this past, <clears throat> this past week. It was that uh, Hotel Cecil documentary. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's four parts. And it was, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Um, definitely had me just uh, like on the, you know, had, had, had its hooks in me just like documentaries, you know, these true crime documentaries do, you know, but uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about this and I think it ties in with uh, what Mr. Martin Scorsese was saying recently, uh, how he had some more remarks about, about what's going on in cinema and what's going on TV and entertainment world. And I think it ties in with, I care a lot. And I think it ties in with hotel Cecil and Scorsese. I think all these things kind of can be put onto the table. And I think you and I can figure some stuff out maybe. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so <clears throat> Scorsese talks about how there's a, you know, there's a devaluing happening within movies and I you know totally see what he's talking about when you have movie 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 come out on all these different streaming services there's all these different options and there's there's not like a quality control necessarily it's just it's just being put out and so while Netflix has these great filmmakers that we're going to bring up on this show and this and that they also release 10 other movies that we're never going to talk about because they're, because they're shit or they're we just, no one talks about them. No one sees them. They're just put out there. It's just more content. And along with that is stuff like the hotel Cecil documentary, just four part, you know, docuseries, 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 docuseries. And it's like convoluted and you like scroll through the true crime section on Netflix. And it, it, it quite frankly is one after the other four part, four part, four part, four part over and over and over because they've obviously figured out a formula to get your ass on the couch and keep you there to keep watching these things over and over. 
so so I understand like where he's coming from, you know, and then then there's something like I care a lot, which is a film, a movie that just comes out on a certain date and then it creates this kind of discussion and then there's like a storm and then it and then it kind of ends and it fizzles out. And that's that's usually what happens with the movie in theaters, right? You know, it has this wave. Oh, you got to go see it, you know, then for a few weeks and then it kind of dies down and then the next movie takes the takes the torch. I I think that's great. I think that's always going to happen in movies. There's going to be movies that rise above and just become the the talking point. But do you find that, especially with the show that we're doing, we're kind of highlighting specific films, but there is so much coming out. So much. I don't want to just say nonsense, but it's just like, whoa, like it's attack on the senses. So much content coming at you. How can one like you or I even keep up? Well, I think that what Martin Scorsese is not really realizing here is that it's always been like that. There's always been, you know, three or four awesome movies and then just a giant line of shit that went to direct a video or, you know, got like a two day release and nobody talks about that stuff. The only thing now is it's incredibly more accessible and has yeah, yeah. a wider audience than it's ever had. And yeah, it really just boils faster. Down, yeah. Yeah. It boils down to what do you want to see? It, it's always been like that. You know, what do I feel like checking out? And now, you know, we have the, the even bigger question of what can we talk about on this podcast? What can we take and turn into an hour and a half show? And a lot of it does get missed. A lot of it isn't worth talking about. A lot of them, there's a lot of films that I want to talk about that I just won't, I don't have access to because of, you know, the theater issue right now. But I think that the only thing we can do is just kind of take it one film at a time and decide in our own mind, is this worth, is this worth my time? That's the, that's the best answer I got. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, there is no, there is no exact answer. I think just taking it, like you said, movie by movie and day by day is, is all you can do. And yeah. And I, you know, I, I want to see a lot of things and I want to give a lot of stuff different, you know, chances. And, but at the same time, you know, I have to, I have to pick and choose. There's only, you know, so many things I can watch. And as you mentioned earlier, I, I like to watch old stuff. And so when there's just so many bloody options, it, it honestly causes me to, to not even want to get on the service. And it's like, man, you know, I, I want to go, when I go to Netflix, it's like, I'm going there for a specific reason. It's not just to kind of look anymore. Cause it's yeah. like, what the fuck is all this? You know, like, what is all of this? There's so much that I haven't even heard of. Like, what, what, a, you know, and I think a lot of people are in that boat and I think some people are just like, well, who cares? Pick what you want and just move on. But I, I, I think about this stuff nonstop. It's like, it's constantly what I think about. It's not, not just Netflix, it's all these streaming services, you know, moving at once. There's so many of them and there's constantly putting out content and whether it be TV shows or movies or docu-series, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And Scorsese, you know, of course the guy's just a super, super awesome filmmaker, but but some of his remarks, I, I agree with you, are just kind of like, well, just they're just kind of old school and that's just not how it is anymore. You don't have movies just coming out of the theater 
on Friday and then letting them breathe for a minute. No, it's like there's stuff coming out every single day. There's reality TV coming out every single weeknight. There's, you know, all kinds of, you know, sports happening every single weeknight on, on, you know, on TV. So it's just, there's a lot of options. And sometimes I, I, I do wonder if, if that will get lost a little bit where like movies kind of rise up and, and beat it. I don't think so, but, but it does scare me sometimes because there's well, so much. In, well, we're in the midst of a, you know, an unprecedented situation regarding the film industry right now where films don't have an opportunity to breathe in the theater because everything that was supposed to come out in the theater has been pushed back indefinitely. So what we're getting is quote unquote, you know, the little stuff, but also, you know, the way we kind of do this show is we have a roughly three day turnaround on the sneak preview because most stuff comes out on a Friday. We record this Sunday night. It's out Monday. So we have roughly three days to watch everything we want to watch for this show. And we have yeah. to make sacrifices. We have to make commitments. We have to decide, like, is this going to be the movie or is that going to be the movie? Yeah. And we pepper it with, you know, some other stuff we were able to get to. But it is really, you know, we look at a film release schedule and decide what here is, A, accessible to both of us, and B, worth talking about. And, you know, we, we don't really have that problem with Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday because those are, you know, looking in the past and making a schedule of everything that has come out and we get to kind of make that on our own time. This show is entirely based around, you know, scheduling and release calendars and whatever that comes out. If stuff gets pulled, we got to refocus an entire episode. So the way I see it is, you know, exactly. I, don't really, I don't pepper my time with reality TV or sports or docu-series anyway. I shove as many movies into my free time as I can and I'll always have something to bring to the table on this show regardless of you know how like reviews or where it comes out like I'll find it (laughs) so yeah I'm not really worried no I believe you man I believe you I'm not really worried about the direction of like where film is headed or how things are being monopolized or you know the availability of content and the amount of content because all we're really dealing with now is accessibility because there's always been this bubble of just, you know, important shit rises to the top and the little stuff gets forgotten. It's always been like that. But now I think the little stuff is getting a chance to shine in a way that they never have before. So I'm looking forward to where this is all going. It's yeah, it's definitely, that's a very optimistic way of looking at it. I think that, a movie like I care a lot does have a chance to, to do something special. And that is cool. And I do love that, you know, people don't have to worry about seeing something like Judas and the black Messiah in theaters and spending a bunch of money. Like I can just see it at home. Like my girlfriend and I can just watch it at home instead of spending 30 bucks. You know, it's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, these filmmakers, you know, they grew up in a different era. They grew up in the day of the, you know, the, the local theater, the five cent ticket. Like these are guys who film has been a certain way their entire lives. And now that everything's really changing in a permanent way, they don't really know how to grasp it. I mean, remember Spielberg was trying to get Netflix movies thrown out of Oscar contending? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's yeah, he's definitely. A, yeah, I think he's old school, you know, and yeah like you said, from a different era. I do think it's very interesting that he brings up the point of when, when I hear the word devalue, you know, when like a movie, the, the, just like the movie world is 
a bit devalued. I just, I, I take that seriously when a guy like him says it. And I think about it while I don't, I don't really agree with him. I see what he's saying. And I understand like his, if someone like him is to get on Netflix, I understand why he would be like, what is going on? Like what's going on? <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I don't think anything's getting devalued. I think everything that comes out, somebody is going to want to see it. And I mean, that's really, you know, all you can hope for these days is that somebody wants to view your product and some of them are going to be huge, crazy, you know, streaming hits like, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know, bird box comes to mind. That was a phenomenon, but yeah, not a good, not a good movie. Not really. No, but some of them, like I care a lot are going to get people talking. They're going to check it out. They're going to think, you know, Oh, that was great. Or that was shit. And then they're going to move on. Cause that's how people have always viewed film. That's great. That sucks. What's what's coming out next week? Yep. Let's well, yeah. Keep moving. And then and then everything in between. You know, everything in between. Uh, TV is obviously kind of king these days. You know, just like rules the conversation. Yeah, and it's not really. You know, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> I can't. Neither do I. Now. Neither do I. I I I'm in the same boat as you. Where I I really don't watch very many TV shows at all, and I don't watch a lot of miniseries or anything like that. It's, it's it, like the last one I watched was Fargo. That's the last TV show I committed to and watched uh, week to week. Um, I just don't, yeah, I don't really care too much because I much rather watch a couple movies or, you know, spend my time in that way. But I do, you know, I watch a fair amount of sports, a little bit of basketball, quite a bit of soccer. And, you know, that's, that's like, those are the, like you said, those are the sacrifices you got to make, you know, and just kind of like with your, spare time it's what you can get to and uh I, I i do hope people like consciously think about what they're choosing to watch i really do i think they are i think people's spare time is more valuable now than it ever has been considering what the alternative is death and uh people are i think really giving more focus on these services than ever before. I think HBO Max especially has had an opportunity to like pop because of this, this pandemic and the situation we all find ourselves in. And uh, yeah, they're delivering first run movies for us. Thanks to that Warner brothers deal. So we are getting good content. I mean, we're getting, you know, we've, we're eight episodes deep on this show. We've covered a lot of new releases and I think most of them have been pretty damn good. Okay. Yeah, no, I've 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 genuinely liked a few of the movies we've we've gotten to watch through HBO Max, through Netflix, through Hulu, you know, uh, for Nomadland. Yeah, man, I've, I've I've there's there's been a couple, and I think Judas so far is my favorite, but there's been a few others. You know, I liked uh, One Night in Miami and Pieces of a Woman through Netflix. I, I liked that one a lot. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting for sure. Yeah, and I think the road ahead is just going to be more creative. I think this is the show that's really going to go in so many weird directions more so than our other two shows. Cause they have pretty narrow focuses. This one yeah. is all over the map. The possibilities on this show are endless and out of our control, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> it, is, it is for sure. And there's no telling. And I, you and I want to deliver some, some good content here on sneak preview. And we want to do movies that do have uh, kind of a word of mouth. Cause we want, we want to be a part of that conversation as well. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like today, the main focus is Nomadland because Nomadland is already up for four golden globes and 
a lot of people are already talking about it being up for some Oscars and Francis McDormand is awesome in it. So that's why we chose it to be the base of this show, this episode. For this show, my really, the only way, like the way that we're going to do these movies going forward is if it came out in 2021, it's fair game. Yep. And until, you know, December 31st, then it's, if it comes out in 2022, it's fair game. That's, that's how this show rolls. This is, you know, the current film release calendar. If we get to stuff late, we get to stuff late, but we're getting to it. Yeah. hundred percent. Right on. Speaking of, uh, due to time restraints, lack of theater access, and an enormous storm that froze Texas over, we were not able to view the Mauritanian. So, yeah, no. When we can, we'll bring it up. But uh, yeah, I've heard good things about that, and I hope to see it eventually. Same. Likewise. <laughs> so, with that, let's get into the meat of today's show Nomad Land. Had a bit of a rocky road in its release. Um, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival last September, where it won the Golden Lion, the highest prize a film can get at that festival. It also won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival, making it the first ever film to win the top prize at both Venice and Toronto. It had a one-week streaming release on December 4th, 2020, was released by Searchlight Pictures in IMAX on January 29th, and then in theaters and digitally on Hulu this past uh, Friday, February 19th. So this has kind of been, they've been teasing us for a few months with Nomadland. You know, we never really knew when we were going to get to see this. And thanks to Hulu, we have, we've gotten to see it. So first thoughts, what'd you think? Oh man, I liked it a lot. Uh, Pretty much what I expected. I wasn't really surprised in any way or, or necessarily overwhelmed. I was just right where I felt like I was going to be the whole time. A solid movie. Francis McDormand is playing you know the character fern and she does she does a great job as per usual uh but you know to me the most interesting thing to talk about out of this is is uh chloe Zhao, who's under 40 years old and obviously has a fantastic eye and has similar tropes to guys like terrence malick and and then uh another legend like kelly reichardt just she just totally makes sense behind the camera and you're in good hands the whole time through nomad land. Uh, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't at, at any point in the film, like totally blown away, but it was steady the whole time, the whole time I was watching a solid film. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I thought it was very well, well made. I thought Francis mm-hmm. McDormand's performance with lights out. Yep. Um, but yeah, I didn't think this should win Best Picture. I I didn't think that. No. Not at all. Not at all. That was that that never really crossed my mind when I finished it. Uh, I was like, this is a this is something that should be nominated a lot. Yeah. I'm thinking though. I think this is going to win though because everyone's kind of, you know, it's, it's the front runner. It's the one that everyone's kind of like, you know, freaking out about it. Chloe Zhao's won every directing award in the game. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I think this is going to take it, but I don't, I like it. I don't love it. I don't think it should take the best honor. I think for me, if I was picking one right now, I think it should go to either Judas and the black Messiah or promising young woman. 
those were Judas. Two- yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah is, yeah, is a stellar movie. And yeah, I, I close your eyes. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. And I, I think if she were to win best director at the Oscars, that'd be, that'd be spectacular. But, uh, but no, I, yeah, best picture that would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make me upset or anything, but, it, but it, yeah, I wouldn't think, wouldn't think much of it. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it's a, like you said, it shouldn't get those honors <laughs> and it's hard to say if it should or shouldn't get something like that, but I, I don't know, man. I just, there's been better stuff the past, the past, uh, 11 months or so. Yeah, exactly. There's been stuff that blew my mind, stuff that I was very impressed with. And I don't, I, I don't want the Oscars to, you know, rush this decision. Uh, yeah, but exactly. Let's talk a bit about kind of the background of this movie. Uh, Nomadland is based on the book Nomadland Surviving America in the 21st Century by American journalist Jessica Bruder. The book tells the stories of older Americans living uh, transient lifestyles across the country following the Great Recession, where a lot of people lost their jobs, lost their savings, lost their homes, and had to adapt. And this is a way a lot of people adapted. They moved into vans and they'd travel across the country working odd jobs to make, you know, keep up, keep on the van. It's, it's their whole lives. And that is really fascinating. I think that what really like I made this film stick with me is that this is a side of America that we very often don't see or hear about or talk about. And it's, it's the ones who are, who've been forgotten. It's the ones who've, you know, had everything taken away from them and never got it back. We don't see these people's stories. And I like that this film shined a light on who these people are. Yeah, man, it's a pocket of American culture that totally doesn't get the spotlight it deserves and is, is perfect for filmmaking too. It's a perfect landscape, perfect uh, personalities and kinds of characters to bring into the, to bring into play in a, I think Chloe Zhao, like doing that early on here in her career is uh, is a really, really, really smart move and good move. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Well, what she does next is going to fucking rock. And we're going to talk about Eternals. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, different uh, other than I know she's doing Eternals. I mean, stuff like I, I can't wait to see another kind of Nomadland kind of movie. I know. Uh, the film was written and directed by Chloe Zhao, who has also directed the films Songs My Brother Taught Me and The Writer. Uh, She's been tapped by Marvel Studios to direct the upcoming MCU adventure Eternals, set for release on November 5th, but that is tentative as hell. Uh, I think she has a very talented eye for uh, making, I think she makes the setting the most important character, which is really cool. I love when filmmakers can do that, can make you kind of feel this world we're living in is bigger and we think and uh yes exactly bringing that kind of mentality to the marvel universe is going to be very interesting i'm excited to see what the stamp she brings on on eternals uh which is really a series i know almost nothing about so i'm going in blind on that one perfect perfect (laughs) that's the best yeah uh two-time oscar winner francis mcdormand plays fern the woman we follow as she lives her life in her own basic way uh McDormand won her Oscars for her roles in Fargo and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, 
She was also nominated for her roles in Mississippi Burning, Almost Famous, and North Country. She's also the current frontrunner for Best Actress at this year's Oscars, which would put her in an Oscar pantheon that very few other actors have reached. And we talked at length about this in our Oscar Sunday episode on Fargo yesterday. Uh, I have yes. no issue whatsoever with her taking Best Actors, although personally, I want Carrie Mulligan to get it, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I think I think Franny, <clears throat> if anyone has anything locked up from Nomadland, it's it's Frances McDormand. Yeah, she's uh, she's very well liked uh, by the Academy and 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 quite frankly by 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 me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge 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 fan, and I'm I'm pulling for her. Uh, I'm pulling for her for many reasons. I think she's fantastic in it. I don't think there's a lot of women who could pull this kind of roll off um and like make me make me really believe what's going on uh with with her character specifically uh the other stuff that's going on some of it's actually real so that's a whole different conversation but uh i she's she i want her to be in that titanic group of katherine hepburn meryl streep and ingrid bergman i want her to be with those women uh as far as the oscars go and i think that'd be really cool uh, to get three wins is something special, uh, whether you care about the Oscars or not. To get three wins is, is a whole different, you know, you know, like atmosphere. <laughs> so, and that's where that's where like she belongs. Uh, I really think she is somewhere in the top fifty, you know, performers of all time. You know, she can do it all. She's one of the only people with the triple crown. You know, she's able to perform on stage, on TV, and in movies. She can do everything and continues to do it. Uh, in Nomadland, uh, exquisitely one of her, one of her better performances of, of this decade too, for sure. You know, of this, the past 10 years. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the fact that everyone involved in this thought she really was a homeless woman living out of a van is pretty amazing. Like she disappeared into the role to the point where nobody was like, Oh my God, it's Frances McDormand. Everyone was like, Oh my God, we should help that woman. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, uh, We've also got Oscar nominee David Strathairn as Dave, a fellow <laughs> nomad who fern befriends. Strathairn was nominated for his performance in Good Night or Good Luck, and he's a longtime character actor who has appeared in such films as Godzilla, L.A. Confidential, The Bourne Ultimatum, Lincoln, Eight Men Out, and A League of Their Own, just to name a few. And he was very good. Uh, Dave's kind of a bumbler, <laughs> kind of a goofy, <laughs> goofy guy. Uh, I like the contrast between him and Fern, how, you know, he's kind of what Fern doesn't want to be. You know, he, he has family, he has commitments. He makes a decision to leave the nomad life. My mom pointed out that the line that was most telling in the film was when Fern told him, you know, you let your van get a flat. Like, how could you do that? And he didn't notice. Because to her, the van is life. That is her life. And she thought that was just as important to him. But the fact that he let it get a flat proved that she was wrong about him. But that was very good insight. So way to go, Mom. Yeah, super, super cool moment. And yeah, she's like, that means you're, that means you're comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and apart from them, uh, McDormand and Strathairn are the only actors in this movie. Everybody else in the film is a real life nomad 
who was filmed for the movie. That is astonishing. Because <laughs> I thought they were very good actors. I was really surprised. Like the guy who plays Bob Wells, I thought, you know, when, when he's talking about his son, like I, that was true. That was real. He really was emotional about that. And I thought like, this guy's a great actor. And then I found out, no, that's, that's a nomad. <laughs> like, holy shit. Like it's almost like half movie, half documentary. It's, yeah. Yeah. Very ballsy decision, but paid off. <laughs> extremely, extremely. And, oh man, it's tough. Cause you're, you're, uh, you now have, you know, a camera and a director and a whole crew with these people who live this life, who really live this life. It gets, it gets, it gets hard. I'm sure there are some people who are like, what's going on here? Like, what, what exactly are we doing? Do we, you know, what do we get out of this? And what's like, why are they here? Why are they, you know, kind of storming our thing? They never cared before. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to think about the people who are, that's their life, you know? And you got to think there's some people who are like, Hey, this is, this is crazy. This is someone who's actually, who actually does care about what's going on. You know, who wants to make a piece of art showcasing the way we live. And it's, I think that's up for conversation. I, I, I love that. I think that's really cool. I, like you said, it's a super ballsy decision by Chloe Zhao. And I, I personally respect it. Do you in any way think it, it's a little exploitative a little bit, but I mean, I, I think filmmaking is one of the most, you know, insane things in the world, but it's the best. So I, I like the movie kids. So I can't, I can't ever throw, throw stones at something for, for being, you know, being exploitative or, or crossing any kind of, you know, line, you know, um, I think, I think people have the right to be, if they want to be upset or maybe someone who lives out of van sees this movie and they're like, no, they got this wrong or something. I don't know. They're allowed to have those feelings. But for me, I, 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 I kind of respect those kinds of decisions because I do think they're really ballsy. And I think, I think we've like lost some of that in like modern filmmaking are like those kinds of decisions to kind of get, get, get a little, get a little weird with your, with your art to where it's not all just going to be scripted and word for word, what you had in your mind, it's going to be live. You know, I, I like that. I like that too. I just, I really hope that these people were properly compensated. I same man. And you, know, I've, I've read all kinds of stuff online. You know, there's, there's people who like hate the movie because of that stuff and yeah. they're entitled to that. You know, they're entitled to giving, they're entitled to give the movie uh, a half a star on letterboxd <laughs> and talk shit about it if they want. Uh, that's fine. That's like what it's for. Right. It's like you put your, you put your art on the block and we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. And personally, I, I think it's very, uh... I think it's a unique way to do this. And I like that. I think that the waves this film's going to make is going to make people refocus on that situation and maybe actually start helping some of these people in ways Possible. that they would want. Cause a lot of these people, the vibe I got from this film is a lot of them don't want help or don't need help. They're perfectly comfortable the way they it's, are living. It's a decision. Yeah. 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 That's why like, cause my family and I were kind of torn on this. We, they thought it was a very sad movie and I thought it was a very optimistic movie. So, hmm. Hmm. yeah, 
we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And it's so interesting, you know, the youth always optimistic at, and you're, you're in your twenties watching this character who is older and you're with your grandparents watching it. And that's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. That generation is, you know, being homeless is the ultimate defeat, but to my generation, it's not, you know, to me, to my generation, it's a, it's a speed bump for sure, but it's not the end of the world. No. And it's, it's, it's all about, you know, there's, there's, there's different like philosophical, you know, conversations you can have about something like nomad land, like uh, just simply like you, you, you can't, you can't buy freedom. You can't buy happiness. You know, th- yeah. those sorts of things, those sorts of things are legitimate, uh, legitimate things to think about as a human. Um, what you really want to spend your time with, you really want to work for, you know, a, you know, a company, your life. And then at the end, now what, you know, I totally understand why people go through that first. Well, a lot of these people, it's ultimately an individual decision. You know, how, how much do you really need? Like, what is your comfort level? What are you willing to give up to live life your own way? And a lot of, you know, most of these people are forced into that situation, but the way they adapt is by realizing what's really important in their lives. And to a lot of them, that's peace. And, you know, all the power to you. If you can find any kind of peace in your life, I got nothing but respect. Agreed. Uh, so Nomad Land has an IMDb score of 7.6, Rotten Tomatoes score of 95%. It is currently available exclusively to stream on Hulu. And I am currently looking at a picture of Chloe Zhao from Comic-Con wearing a shirt that says, I had friends on that Death Star. So, yeah, I like this woman a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's pretty, pretty cool, huh? You know, and born in Beijing. And here she is about to helm a, about to helm a Marvel movie and is the front runner for best director at the Oscars. So pretty amazing. Someone's stock is about to go up. <laughs> Very much. So the next couple of years are huge for her. Yeah. So let's discuss uh, the film itself. Uh, there's a line towards the beginning that I think defines the whole film. And it's when Fern is at, I think it's at like Walmart or Dick sporting goods or something. And she's approached by um, an, a mother, uh, an old friend of hers who asked, you know, Hey, I heard like, you know, if you ever need any help, just let me know. And the kid asks her like, is it true you're homeless? And Fern says, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. I love that. That is a great line. You know, what is a home? Yes. What is home? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, very cool line. I think it kind of sets you up for Fern's mindset throughout the whole movie of, you know, home is inside of me. I you know I've always got my home. Hmm. Very nice. Yeah. You, you also have when, when she's at, when she's at lunch and that girl has all the Smith's tattoos all over her. And she says like, that's the line, like the home is, is home more of a mindset, you know? And that's pretty much yeah, what the, what the movie's, you know, hit, hitting at over and over is, you, you do carry something with you that's really important for sure. Yeah. Who says you need a house to be fulfilled? I don't, you know, I like that this movie really kind of jabs at a lot of our 
you know, our rules in our society and what we've kind of been fed for generations over what success and peace really means. And this film kind of shows you that there are other ways to be free of all that, to be, to have your own, a little control over your own life, which so few people in this country have. Yeah. Um, and there, there's not a lot of films made about the homeless, especially from the perspective of uh, a homeless person. And one film that came to mind is uh, 2013's Blue Ruin. It was mm. a film that kept popping in my head because of this. And if you haven't seen that, guys, check that out. That's on Netflix right now. It's a great movie, kind of a drama that turns into a crime thriller about a homeless man hunting down the guy. Yeah. His family. Uh, but yeah, just there's not a lot of films made about the homeless. I've mentioned that a couple times. You got uh, the Fisher King, uh, Robin Williams, yeah. doing a doing a good bit there as a homeless guy. Yeah, just there, there's an angle to take, right? You know, with with stuff, and and Nomadland takes a really specific one and hones in on it on a pocket of culture, and I, I love that for sure. Um, I was blown away by the score. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, woof those keys. And technically, it's not really a score. It's uh, Ludovico Inaldi is the musician. And I guess it's all music taken from his catalog. Like, it's not a, a score written for the film, which is a little odd. But I uh, like that. Kinda it like worked. That. It worked very well. <laughs> My only gripe is that that means he's not going to be eligible for an Oscar. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, because it's uh, just pieces from different albums he already has. Yeah. It's mostly piano with a little bit of you know violin in there, but it is gorgeous and emotional and really telling. And I, I, I loved it. Same. I also really, really love the cinematography in this film. Yeah. Oh, lights out. Uh, Joshua James Richards is the director of photography on this. And uh, he has not done a lot. Uh, this is his third film. <laughs> incredible uh god's own country and the rider both from 2017 he's done a lot of shorts and then he did a music video with jay-z and damian marley that's uh, awesome so yeah this guy probably a shoe-in for cinematography at the oscars i think that's good to know i mean uh obviously chloe Zhao is someone we brought up but she is not only the director but she edits her own stuff and I really dig that. So it'd be cool to see her get nominated for both film editing and directing. Yeah. So, Screenplay too. She wrote this too. I like to see that. Um, mastermind behind it and uh, mad respect. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, what are some scenes and moments that you want to, you'd like to highlight from this? Oh man, I, I found the, you know, when the camera goes to kind of like Verite style, when she's just at like Amazon, it gets kind of bleak and almost, almost kind of traps you as like a viewer. Uh, And I thought that was really cool how it kind of traps you and makes you feel, feel exactly how she's probably feeling uh, in each moment, uh, Fern. And that's part of, partly Francis McDormand's great performance, but also everything else that's working behind the camera. Uh, 
I, I love that, man. I love that each setting that she was in, they, they aligned totally Francis and, and, and the setting. And then I mentioned earlier, but there's like a, there's a Terrence Malick esque, you know, touch on this when you're just looking at her walking through tall grass or, you know, the, the patience that a filmmaker can have is really important to me. And I think Chloe has the right amount of patience. And those are some of my favorite things about Nomadland is just kind of how it just kind of, you know, the, the, the cloth of it, you know, the, the material within it is like, it, it moves really, really interestingly. And I think it's just really, really well done. But as far as scenes go, you mentioned earlier, the one where she kind of runs into, runs into somebody at the store. Um, I, I thought the scene when Dave dropped that box and broke, broke this plate, that scene when finally something that belonged to her that has belonged to her was like, mm -mm. like she got angry. She got really angry about it. And you have a really nice, really nice, you know, piece of the, I guess, soundtrack uh, there. And it's, it's her gluing the, gluing the plate back together. And I, I was, I was really kind of stirred up by that, that like five minute scene when he breaks it and she says, go over there. <laughs> You know, and it, it's it's just a kind of one of those humanizing scenes. And I, I thought when you had the two actors, the two only actors within the movie kind of going at it right there is it really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I love all this stuff with uh, Fern and her sister. Uh, oh, man. Knowing oh, she, oh. Yeah. <laughs> with Fern, you know, seeing that she has a way to stop living like this and chooses not to do it. Uh, gave you some real insight into who she really, who she is. And it just, you know, you, you feel for her, you, you have no, no choice, but to really kind of latch on to her. And Frances McDormand's face is so expressive. She does so much with so little in this movie, her, she can, you know, little eye twitches and like, you know, half smiles. She tells you everything you need to know about how she's feeling in that moment. It's incredibly layered performance might be her best i mean you know it's, it's definitely her most subtle but yeah I, i'm i can't sing her praises enough exactly yeah she's <laughs> so good the facial expressions are are kind of her trademark right uh you mentioned uh, on fargo when she when she has the gun and sees what's going on her eyes light up it's a famous picture famous shot from the movie like she's been doing that for fucking 40 years you know she's just been cruising right along using her eyes and her mouth and different hairstyles she's just using who she is and it's it's beautiful to watch it's nice when a character actor gets you know oscar gold and she's going to do it for a third time most likely yeah it's pretty cool hell yeah so nomadland uh we didn't really get too, you know, deep into it, but it's a film that really you have to watch to fully kind of appreciate. It's a film that's mostly about, you know, circumstance and landscape and really just showcasing mm -hmm. the, almost the forgotten side of America. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's definitely a film that just kind of takes it moment by moment. You have the moments with Swanky, 
that are really special, really sweet. And like you said, you mentioned earlier the moments with Bob Wells. It's, it's just conversations and nice cinematography. Again, it's just kind of a solid film altogether, but I totally think it's one that you kind of have to have seen to understand a conversation uh, where something like we did last week, Judas and the Black Messiah, it's, it's about literally these exact things that happened 70, you know, or sorry, 50 years ago. So it's totally, totally different. Yeah. And in terms of why we don't really want it to win best picture, well, yeah, let's, talk wanted, about, but let's, like, let's talk about that. So what is it about this film that you think is keeping it from a deserved best picture win? I, I don't think it ever breaks, breaks the, there, there's like a barrier that most for me, anyway, the ones that I want to win, you know, best picture movies that kind of bust through something different. Uh, I don't think, I don't think no man land does at any point. Um, I, I think parasite did it a few times. I think moonlight did it. I think even spotlight did it at the end of the film. I think oh, there's, there's others. I think no country for old men did it. Um, I think there's some that can do it that can really like really kind of claim it kind of claim I'm worthy of all the conversation. And I don't think Nomadland is, is, is there. Okay. So you think it's, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of, I'm kind of comparing it to history. So you think it's holding back a little bit, a little bit. I think obviously there's, we talked about the ballsy moves like at the, at the, the fundamental fundamentals of the film. But as far as the screenplay goes and the directing goes, I love the directing, but I do think I've seen stuff like it before. And the screenplay, I think that, I think it could have gone, yeah, it could have gone to another level. I 100% agree with you on the screenplay. To me, a big issue with this film is there isn't really a story. There's not oh, really not at all. Not at all. Yeah. yeah, there's no story. The screenplay is pretty bare bones. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a good movie. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's very well acted. But am I going to come back? I don't. I don't think so. I feel you. I feel you. I probably will watch it one day. But yeah, I'm not going to be like itching to get back to it for the next year or so. I do recommend it. I give it an eight overall. I want people to venture out and see it and give their own, you know, two cents into it. But I, but yeah, as far as all of the hype that it's gotten and all this other stuff, it's won. I'm just, I just was a a tad, maybe a tad underwhelmed. Not, not, not like, Whoa, what the hell? It was just, it, it was really solid, but it never, never kind of like slapped me in the face and was like, Holy shit, this is an amazing movie. And, and I think, like you said, because the story never really, really goes there and that's that's probably part of the point is that the character never really latches on to anybody so you never really get that you never really get that kind of like one two latching on because if the movie was about uh what's that one character's name um one, or that one lady's name that she does the puzzle with and works with for a little bit at amazon uh linda may yeah if the movie was like about like really focused on just them two and then at the end of the movie they have to take separate ways that would like, you know, tear your heart, you know, apart. Yeah. That's like, that's like classic movie, you know? So I, I, I respect the decision to kind of, to kind of keep it a bare bones script, but at the same time, 
I think it was held back by not kind of attacking like one of the relationships or figuring yeah. out, figuring out exactly what clicks most with Fern, maybe go even deeper into what is Dave really like about her? I don't know. Not sure. It teased a lot of potential storylines and didn't take any of them. Yeah. I guess that's the main thing. And, you know, it's like an hour and 45 minutes or something and could have standed, you know, it's already a movie that moves kind of slow. I, I don't, I wouldn't mind it being a little over two hours, you know, add a little, add a little more meat to, to your relationships. That's fine to get more character development. Uh, Cause it, again, it looked beautiful. So I had no problem watching it and I do recommend it. Uh, and obviously Chloe Zhao is a, is a name to just reckon with. Absolutely. I give this an eight based on the performances and the direction and the cinematography and the music. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's going to divide some people. Uh, like I said, you know, I found it pretty optimistic. I think that this is a film about a woman struggling with tremendous loss, but finding her own peace and finding a way to cope in her own way and living a life that she feels makes her stronger. And I, I, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was heartwarming and optimistic. And I like like the last five, you know, few minutes where Bob Wells is talking about how he never says goodbye. He just says, I'll see you down the road. Yeah. Oh man. I thought that was very, you know, my heart skipped a beat a little bit there. I thought that was nice. Same, same. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's all for this week. Next week, we've got a loaded release schedule four possible films to cover on Hulu. We've got the United States versus Billy holiday on HBO max. We've got Tom and Jerry available to stream on prime is Minari and in theaters is the father. (laughs) So we'll see what we can do. Also, we may have a guest co-host next week. Not going to announce who, as we are still working on that. But yeah, going to be uh, trying to sneak preview with a uh, surprise guest host. So we'll see how that works out. Hell yeah. Also, don't miss The Sixth Sense on Wednesday's Filmgasm podcast and John Cassavetti's Faces on Oscar Sunday. Next Friday, March 5th, is the debut of our fifth podcast, Guys Who Giggle, comedy film-focused podcast hosted by Andrew Bachman and Juwan Carter. Don't miss it. It's going to be a gas. Have a great week, everyone, and keep watching movies. Mm